Welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully. This is a podcast to elevate teacher voice. In this program, you will hear teachers sharing their journey into this profession and their ideas for education. I'm kicking it off Teacher Appreciation Week, which starts May 2nd. This is about honest, vulnerable, inspiring storytelling. It's a time and a space for teachers to share their ideas for the future of education. Teachers are beautiful beings who give their heart and soul to their community. They're innovators, they're inspirational, not only to children, but to the people around them. And they deserve to share their voice. So welcome to The Teacher's Story. Enjoy. Hi, welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully, and today we have Rachel Sissioni with us. She has a master's of education. Um, she's out of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which is really close to where I grew up in Exton, Pennsylvania. And she's a French teacher. She's taught in many different schools and now currently has her own business called uh, The French You plus The Private Practice Teacher. And she is a teacher advocate um, and especially any teachers who are looking to get into their own business and become an entrepreneur. So I'm sure she'll share about that as we go through the interview today. So welcome, Rachel. Thank you. So my first question for you is, um, what was your inspiration to get into education? Was it something that came to you early in life or maybe through other work that you did in your young adult years? Early in life. I'm one of those that always wanted to be a teacher. Um, I used to make my little sister do worksheets and play school. And yeah, so that's kind of always been my dream job. Um, but I am a second year or a second career professional. Mm. Um, I didn't actually start going to college to become a teacher till I was 28 okay. and um, had my first teaching position at the age of 31. Oh, okay. What was your first profession? I um, was an ophthalmic technician and mm. an optician. Okay. So I helped do eye exams and make eyeglasses and fit contact lenses. Yeah. <laughs> That's quite uh, a shift. Like, was there one, like either a conversation that you had or a moment that you're like, I think I'm going to go back to school and go into teaching. Well, yeah. So my husband actually, Okay. So while I was, when I, when I worked in the eye profession, I was very much interested in patient education. Um, and even not even just patient education, like educating everybody about the importance of getting your eyes checked. Mm -hmm. Um, but I met my husband <laughs> there. He was a patient. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and um, ended up in my exam chair. Yeah. And then I ran into him later that same day and we got to talking. And so um, throughout our dating life, I shared that I'd always wanted to be a teacher, that mm. I loved what I was doing. I loved that I got to help people and it was interesting and different every day but I'd always wanted to be a teacher. And so he's the one that inspired me and made it possible. I mean, it would have been possible, but made it a lot easier for me to go back to school and get my degree to become a teacher. And uh, you are a French teacher. So was there any, did you know right away that you're like, this is the type of teacher I want to be, or did there was something else that kind of came to you to say, I think I want to do language and I want to be a French teacher. I always wanted to be a French teacher. Okay. I always loved language. Um, I took French, Spanish, German, and Italian when I was in high school. Wow. I dropped out of trig so I could pick up another language. <laughs> so like that was always, always what I wanted to do. And as I got older, French was my favorite. So mm. I 
you know, you could go to school forever. Um, yeah. And I had to specialize so I could graduate and get a job. Right, right. I always wanted to be a French teacher, but coming back to it 10 years out of high school, mm-hmm. I definitely had moments where I doubted mm-hmm. my ability to do that because it was easy when I was 14, 15, 16, 17, mm-hmm. but coming mm-hmm. back to it in my late twenties was mm-hmm. completely different story. And so I almost didn't become a French teacher. I was mm-hmm. not the strongest student in my class and it was very, very hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that struggle is what helped me to become a better teacher mm. Yeah, because I struggled with the content. So I had mm. to learn where the breakdowns were for myself as a learner. And yeah. ultimately, I think that empowers me to be a better teacher, not just for my secondary students, but also for my adult learners as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So did you have to, were you using French or studying it between high school and that time you wanted to go back to school? Or did you have to like get all back into it all over again? Um, I was mostly using Spanish okay. there's, there's a pretty significant Spanish community in Lancaster, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and then working in patient care. Okay. I used a lot more Spanish. Um, but I, you know, always watched foreign films and, okay. you know, always sort of dabbled in it. And somehow miraculously, I tested into intermediate French. Mm. Um, when I went back to school mm. and it was a very steep learning curve. I'm not exactly yeah. sure how that happened, but it worked mm-hmm. out. Yeah. Cause you're passionate about it. And I love this idea of that because I struggled through something as a learner and having to, you know, and then that time you're very humble, right. In that, like, I'm trying to do something I really want to do, but it's gonna be really, really hard. And you can pass that on to your students. And like, now you have adult students because you're like, I did it, you know, like I went back and it was not easy. And, you know, this is again, second career and going back to school, you know, 10 years later. So I think that's quite a lesson, um, you know, to pass on to your students. So that's great. And, uh, for my next question, what was um, maybe some moments from your early years teaching? You want to share anything that was struggles or aha moments or really, you know, times of growth that you had as a young teacher? Um, yeah. So <laughs> I think one of the things that actually was a huge asset for me was that I wasn't a young teacher because mm-hmm. um, I, I was 31. So yeah. even, like teaching high school, there was um, you know, I had that kind of built-in authority that just came mm. with age, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, that I think was, was really helpful to me because I didn't, um, the kids never really looked at me as a peer. Like there was mm. always that, that distance. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something I find some teachers fresh out of college yeah. sometimes struggle with is mm-hmm. being recognized as an adult in the school and not just by their students, but by their coworkers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had that right off the bat, but one of the big, um, moments for me and also for my students too, was I realized I was never the, uh, I never considered myself to be the smartest person in the room. Mm-hmm, like I, mm-hmm. and I would tell them that like, I'm, I'm have my job because I know more French than anybody else in this room. Mm-hmm. And I know how to teach it. I have a degree in, in learning and, and teaching, but I never considered myself to be the smartest person in the room. And I always co-created with my students. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's, um, which was just kind of a, uh, it was definitely a change for my students. Mm. Like they weren't, they didn't expect that from a teacher. They were usually getting that like kind of top down, like I am your teacher, listen to me kind of thing. 
Yeah. 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 And so, you know, coming in, it's like, you know what, they've been, (laughs) they've been students longer than I've been a teacher Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they're high school students. So Mm -hmm. they was kind of like, I'm a professional teacher and you're a professional student. Mm. And this is, this is our relationship. So I'm going to, these are my expectations of you as a professional student. These, I believe are reasonable expectations that you should have of me as a professional teacher. Yeah. Um, But I would ask them to create questions, create Mm -hmm. essay questions. It's like, quite honestly, they had more recent experience with essay questions than I did as a teacher. Right. Right. So a lot of times that would be my assignment would be, okay, um, let's generate some essay questions that will, could end up being a one to two page paper. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then those would end up being our discussion questions. So um, I think that, and I figured that out, honestly, just out of necessity, because Mm. I had five preps as a first year teacher. Wow. That's Um, a lot. Yeah. (laughs) And um, and, and hardly any resources because yeah. the teacher I was replacing created all of her own resources. And when she left, she naturally took them all with her. I know that happened so many times. <laughs> so okay, I'm brand new to teaching, have yeah. almost no resources, have a, a really old textbook that I had never seen before in my life mm-hmm. and, um, and the keys to a classroom and a bunch of kids showing up. So it was kind of like, Okay. Yeah. We're, we're going to do this. Yeah. So. You get thrown in. Yeah. You <laughs> so really don't know until you're there. Right. You just like mm-hmm. the real training happens when it's your first year teaching, you could have as much education and training even in student teaching, but it's not until you're actually in the classroom and you have to figure it out. Um, and I love that idea of co-creation. I think that's where education is. And I think it could go even further. And so we get to like the ideas part later, we can maybe talk more about that, but you know, this whole like stage on the stage concept, right? Of the teacher, right. the old school teacher. And there's, there's maybe some that still teach in that way, but A, it doesn't work for the students. And you're also just giving yourself more work to do. And you're giving yourself so such high expectations to be the expert in everything and do everything right. Um, so as much as you bring student voice into the lessons, and it's not just your lesson, it's, you know, the group lesson, the community lesson, uh, has, you know, it's just such a powerful thing for them because they're going to go out into the work world and they're going to collaborate and they're going to work with people and they want to see themselves, you know, in, within a community and not just someone telling me what to do in a job. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I taught nine years in of a private Catholic schools and I never wrote anybody up. I, I, Mm -hmm. two different schools, very different, um, demographics, but I never had to write any, any -hmm. students up. And, um, I went to, I remember I went on a job interview at, um, a public school where my co-op was retiring. And so she asked me to come and apply for her position. And I found out from her that the fact that I had never written anybody up was part of why they didn't believe me. Oh, wow. And that was part of the reason that um, they, I didn't get to a second round interview. <laughs> it's like, well, that's bizarre. Isn't what? it? It's like, so is the goal to write students up? We want them in detention. Like, is that the goal? Like, okay, this is not a prison system. <laughs> right. I'd had, I mean, I've had two personal detentions in nine yeah. years, yeah. but um, one of my students came to me as a senior. Now he, he took French one as a senior. Mm-hmm. 
again, for the same thing, senioritis. Yeah. Um, so many students will <laughs> mistake the nice teacher for the easy teacher. Mm. And so I would end up with a lot of seniors in my French one class because I had a reputation of being a nice teacher. And then they'd get in there and like, oh, this crud. is work. It's <laughs> not an easy class. Right, right. Um, but he shared, he was a student that had been written up multiple times. And um, as soon as other teachers found out that he was on my roster, that, oh, watch out for him. He was one of those students. Mm, and I never I had, that. I, I, I never that. had any trouble with him. I just yeah. kind of, you know, I let it go in one year and out the year, yeah. out the other. And he came to me at the end of the school year and thanked me. Mm. And, um, he said, you know what? All of these teachers in here, they demand respect, but they don't give it. Mm. They always talk about how respect mm-hmm. is a two-way street, mm-hmm. but they just, ex- they just expect it without giving anything in return. He's like, you're the first one that mm-hmm. actually respected me. When I walked in the door, I, w- I knew that I was respected. He's like, and that's why I respect you. That is so wonderful, Rachel. Wow. That's, that's so like, true. Stuck with me. I'm like, of wow. Course. Yeah, it's so true. It's, they students have such insight and they they know what's going on and they know, you know, how this whole thing works and how they should be treated too. And it absolutely is a two-way street. Like it's like you can't just demand respect because you're a teacher. You have to be a a, a good teacher, but also a good human being, like mm-hmm. a caring human being who genuinely cares about the student. It's not just like I'm gonna teach you French or I'm gonna teach you history. And, I only see the A students as like my great students, but like, no, I'm a human being, you're a human being, and I'm going to treat you with respect and care. And I expect that in return. And, you know, this becomes a collaborative relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I love that story. I've had very joyful experiences with my students. And I think that that's why Mm -hmm. um, I never had to write any of them up. Mm -hmm. I could just kind of pull them aside. I mean, now this young man had um, tattoos, which if you know anything about Catholic schools, you absolutely may not ever show a tattoo. And the school also did not have air conditioning. So in the summer, in those those late, you know, May months, it was very uncomfortable for him to have to wear long sleeves to cover his tattoos. Yeah. And well, you know, dude, like I have a job to do and you have a job to do and you made this choice. How are we going to work through this? Because I can't mm-hmm. allow you to display your tattoos Yeah, yeah. in the building. And right. he's like, no, I get it, ma'am. I get it. Like, I get it. And like, when so I give you a hard time. Yeah. He didn't want to give me a hard time. He understood. I talked to him like a person and mm-hmm. I, and, and that was it. He'd walk it as he's walking in the room, he's rolling down his sleeves and buttoning his, <laughs> buttoning his sleeves. Yeah. He's respected you. Yeah. 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 And I always say too, like, you can be the, you know, have a doctorate in whatever subject matter you're teaching. You can know literally every, all the facts, which is great, but they could also Google it. I mean, you're teaching a skill, you're teaching language, but as far as like yeah. history teacher, right? Like you can look up a lot of things, um, but they will only respect you if you treat them like a human being. They don't, they're not gonna respect you just because you're giving out all of your knowledge, right? And that's kind of like oh. the old scale old school way of looking at teaching, but if you care about them and you show them respect, then they're going to listen to you. You, They're going to be, you know, engaged. They're going to pay attention. Um, And, you know, you have to be able to talk to them like a young adult. You taught, you taught high school. That's my age group too. It's like, they're young adults. They're not little kids. Yeah. So um, 
my next question, and I think this is where you were uh, at the end of being in the classroom and then coming into like your own business, but in the pandemic. Um, so anything you want to talk about with teaching in the pandemic or just the pandemic in general um, that were obviously struggles, but maybe other moments that you learned from that or you could see the takeaways from that time? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that. Um, so the, the first school I taught in was very supportive of teachers. There was definitely that philosophy of we support our teachers so mm -hmm. our teachers can care for our students. Yeah. Um, and, but it was 44 miles away from where I lived mm. and I was pregnant with our second child and a position opened up at a school that was two and a half miles away. Yeah. So I switched schools. And that school was the complete opposite. Mm. It was um, basically the parents um, were the only voice that mattered. Mm -hmm. The people mm -hmm. writing the checks was the only voice that mattered because it's, it's a private Catholic school. Mm -hmm. And um, and that did not work well for me. Mm -mm. I had, you know, I was very, very fortunate to start my career in a school that treated me very, very well. And to not be treated well. I mean, perhaps if that had been my first experience as a teacher, I would have just thought, well, that's just how it is and keep my right. head down and stay in my lane, right? Right, right. As many other teachers do, but my first experience was to be treated very, very well. And mm -hmm. I voiced those expectations when I agreed to come to their school because they mm -hmm. approached me and asked me to come. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I got there, that within three months, the things that I had been promised started being taken away. Mm. Um, so I had not been happy there prior to the pandemic, but I love my coworkers. I love mm. the mission of the school. Mm -hmm. I love my students. I mm -hmm. love their families. Like the community mm. as a whole, I absolutely just loved, but um, I, I hadn't been happy there for a long time and really the pandemic and the way that they handled the pandemic, mm -hmm. um, just was, it was really the straw that broke the camel's back. Mm -hmm. And as the summer went on, I, the closer I got to having to go back there, um, the more I cried, mm -hmm. like I, I dreaded, I couldn't get excited about the things I wanted to try out the next year. And that was the first summer and I had had that happen. Mm -hmm. you know, I noticed it was taking me longer and longer to rebound over the summers. Mm -hmm. But I could always get excited about what I wanted to do with my students. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think after the way that that school had handled the pandemic and the expectations that they put on us and how little they really appreciated mm -hmm. what we did um, to keep the school open and, and for students, yeah. I was just, I was so heartbroken. I couldn't, I just couldn't. So I, um, I started looking for other jobs, mm -hmm. other teaching jobs. And I was very specific. I was not going to go any, just anywhere. I knew there were a couple of districts that had near me that had the similar um, teacher supportive environment. Mm -hmm. And those were the only districts I was going to be willing to work in. So I had gotten um, an aid position for ESL and I was considering, I was still in my master's program and I was considering ESL as an option. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, this will be good. It'll get my foot in the door at one of my dream districts. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it'll give me an opportunity to really see what ESL is before I finish all the specialized coursework. Mm-hmm. And, and I loved it there. Mm-hmm. I actually really loved it. It was in a middle school. Um, I love the administration. I, uh, I loved the teacher that I got to work for. She's amazing. She's an absolute force of nature. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you might even want to interview her at some point in time because yeah. she's, she's a, she's an incredible educator and just human. Um, And, but at the same time, I had also been approached by our local private school, very, very small, like this school, it's the Stone Independent School in Lancaster. And it was started by two teachers Mm. who it's kind of their motto is education that matters. And they were not happy with their belief is that the 1970s style education, the way that it is, is not appropriate for 21st century learners. Absolutely. And so they've taken their multiple master's degrees and PhD and in education and decided to create their own school. Wow. And it is a super cool, Mm -hmm. uh, super cool learning environment. Yeah. And whenever they don't have, but it's like a very, it's a skeleton crew. I mean, they only have mm-hmm. 150 students and they do, I think it's six through 12. Mm-hmm. Um, so whenever they have students that are interested in something that they can't offer, they go out to the community. Mm. And so I was approached to teach French for just two students mm. and I would create it. It was still 2020. So we were completely online. Um, the school didn't open up until I think like the last quarter of 2021 for some in-person instruction. And um, they asked me if I would create a program for mm. two of their students and the parents would pay me directly. Wow. And I thought, um, okay, uh, I sure. Yeah, <laughs> Why yeah. not? I have no idea how to do this. Um, but you know, we, wow. we had all become so innovative during that mm-hmm. pandemic teaching. Yeah. I was like, you know what? I think I can do it. Mm-hmm. And the pace cut that I took yeah. to become an aide from a teacher to an aide. Um, even though they did give me a little bit of a bump because I'm a teacher. Um, it, it helped to offset that pay cut. And mm-hmm. that was part of what made that um, decrease in income possible for our family at the time. So I took mm-hmm. on these students. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I just figured it out as I went. Wow. And, and I was doing this aid position. And I just started telling people what I was doing. And I got more interest from other students. And then mm. by, by Thanksgiving, I had to give the school my notice because I was making more teaching privately wow. than I was as an aide. And I could make even more if I opened up my schedule from those aid hours to take mm-hmm. on more students then. So financially, it didn't really make sense mm-hmm. for me to stay. And I was having to work hours, um, like after school hours in order to teach my private students. And that's when my kids were home and I didn't really mm-hmm. want to do that mm-hmm. either. So, mm-hmm. um, So by December, I had the schedule that I wanted and, Mm. um, was making considerably more than if I had stayed in that aid position. Wow. So it all just kind of like came together out of this situation that was dire in the school that you, you know, you moved to because it was a better fit for your family and for commuting, right. And anyone would make that decision. And unfortunately it was not 
an environment that was conducive for, you know, one to really feel like you're supported. And then you kind of just came into this new role and this is what birthed your business, right? Yeah. This was like the beginning of your business, right? Through the Stone Independent School. Exactly. Yeah. And I, it's not, uh, it's not even an opportunity that was, that I ever thought existed. Wow. Um, and I, and I love it. I, I love teaching adults. Yeah. Like I did not expect to, because I really, my heart, I feel like I come alive when I'm working with adolescents. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my population. That's what I have always felt the most passionate about teaching. Yeah. But I really enjoy working with my adult students. I, and I did not expect that Yeah. at all. I mean, I really feel like I have my cake and I get to eat it too with them because mm. I get to hang out with people that I genuinely enjoy as humans mm-hmm. and geek out about <laughs> one of my favorite content areas ever. Yeah. And I get paid for it. <laughs> yes. That's the dream job right there. Yeah. Um, and then I saw with the private, so that was my French you. Um, but then I saw what was, what's been happening in education, right? especially in this, like in the, the last couple of years mm-hmm. and how teachers went from being heroes to scapegoats mm-hmm. to, um, it, it's, I, I even struggle to find the words because I'm so um, heartbroken. Yeah, me too. So many beaten teachers. down, beaten down completely. So beaten down and there's yeah. so much expected of teachers yeah. and they carry the weight mm-hmm. of, of so much mm-hmm. heavy burden of our entire society is on teachers and you just get up every day and, you know, put on your armor and mm-hmm. do the best you can for the kids when it feels like there's an entire system working against you. It's so true. And yeah. then to just be mistreated while you're at it. Right. It is, right. Um, I get a little, I get just get, I get choked up and angry yeah. and sad about all of that. So yeah. Seeing that and then seeing what I was able to create for myself and seeing this mass exodus of mm-hmm. teachers, not just leaving the classrooms, but they're leaving the field completely. Yeah. Like yeah. they're just, they're completely leaving education. Yep. And it's usually like, it's, it's usually your best and brightest that go first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, sadly, mm-hmm. and I have kids who go to public school and I do yeah. not want to homeschool them. Right, um, right. I want education to work. Like I don't want it to fall apart. No. But my thought was rather than have these amazing, innovative, brilliant teachers leave the field completely, mm-hmm. maybe they could do what I'm doing. Yes. Yeah. Maybe we could create a whole army of private practice teachers and we can change that conversation from teacher shortage, which I think every teacher cringes at now, Mm -hmm. um, change it from teacher shortage (laughs) to no, we're here. There's Mm -hmm. no shortage of teachers. We're here. We're just not willing to work within your broken systems in Mm -hmm. which we have no voice. Exactly. Yes. It's an empowering movement of we're there's teachers and they're trained and they have the, the education, the background, the experience, the innovative ideas they're leaving because they don't want to lose their heart and soul completely in what they put their life into. And if they can then take all of that and be like rejuvenated and then take something and make it their own and then continue to inspire students. And that could be adult students too. I think this is like a wonderful, 
idea for a movement of having teachers become entrepreneurs, right? And it's like, that's not a teacher shortage. We're just doing it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And making education even more accessible. Right. You know, because so many people think once you graduate school or you graduate college, that's kind of the end mm-hmm. of your education. Mm-hmm. And I kind of loved, you know, that was another maybe silver lining of the pandemic was when we were given all that time alone that we couldn't really do anything else, we started thinking of ways for personal enrichment. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we had our sourdough starters and we took up painting and right, right. <laughs> took up yeah. language learning, or we started yeah. to, you know, rediscover old hobbies and interests that we had lost time for. Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely love the idea of making learning more accessible beyond the traditional school years. Yeah. But my and this is a, a concern for me and something I definitely want to figure out a way to address um, is accessibility, socioeconomic accessibility to yeah. teach, because mm-hmm. I don't want this to be another social class divide exactly. uh, where only the wealthy can afford these private teachers. Right, right. Because that's not okay either. But mm-hmm. I do kind of feel like we need to exist first. Mm-hmm before we can advocate for ourselves mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or things like, you know, maybe instead of school choice money, we have teacher choice money, mm. you know, like families have some, you know, if you have enough social, if you have enough money, basically you can kind of choose what schools your kids go to by mm-hmm. being able to afford to live in those districts. Right. right, right? right. That's sort of what we hit the system we have. Yeah. Now. Yeah. But even then you might get to choose the school. You don't get to choose the teacher. Right. Right. And, you know, you might have several good teachers and then you have a couple that aren't so great, but you know, you don't ever really get to choose your teacher. Mm -hmm. This could, you know, that's one of my, my dreams or one of my, what ifs with this is what if students could pick the teachers Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or the families could pick the teachers that are best qualified to teach their kids. Yeah. So this whole idea of teacher choice and not necessarily school choice, you know, right now I'm very inspired by a lot of like, what ifs. Mm -hmm. And I like this idea of you're going back to empowering the teachers and they're not just part of the system because everyone sees schools and they think maybe if they're like outside of this profession, um, but they think that for the most part, all teachers are kind of uniform, like all kind of the same, you know within their subject, like this is what a history teacher is like, whatever, but they're all very different. And you do have ones working in the same system that are much more innovative and trying new things and going to a lot of professional development and really trying to um, maybe push against the system a bit and try new things in their classroom. And like something you talked about too, is just even like the layout of your room and how you make it a space to make sure students feel like they can have lower anxiety and feel more comfortable and feel relaxed. Like some teachers do that. And, you know, some are just like, I'm just going to stick with the rows and what I'm doing and like not knocking anyone for being more in a traditional sense, but you do have those innovative teachers and they could be so empowered if they could, you know, have this teacher choice or put it in like their, you know, this is your role and you can go out there and market yourself. You know, it's, it's really different. It's like flipping the whole system around because right now it is, it's, it's school choice and the school is a building or if it's a virtual school, you know, it's a program online, but it's the teachers that make the whole education system. Right. They make it work. Yeah. And that's kind of like my fear for education right now is that because we do it for the kids, as long as, 
teachers are just going to keep making this broken system work. Mm. You know, like yeah. we're going to keep doing our best for the kids. We're just going to keep, and, and oftentimes at the, at our own family's detriment or right. our own health is sacrificed for it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. There's a lot, you know, there's, I don't know. I always tell my students, there's no simple solution to a complex social issue. Right. Right. Just like we talk about systemic racism, this is a systemic issue as well. Having a foundation that's been around for like a hundred years that hasn't really changed much. Like you said, like since we're doing things since the 1970s, even before that. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's, it may be, and I was just talking to someone recently and it it sounds so bleak, but it's like, it maybe needs to just completely break in order to mold it into something else. And I love this idea of teachers starting their own school. And that is really difficult to do, you know, and it's going to take a lot of money and resources and time to get that up and running, but they did it, you know, and even if it takes years to finally have student number, you know, that you want or the teacher number that you want, but to say, I can't do it anymore in this fashion, I'm going to go start my own thing. And just like, I'm going to go and support teachers to maybe do private practice and hone their craft and then use that to promote themselves. I love it. Yeah, I, I'm excited. It makes me excited. And my hope is that we won't have to get the whole way to a crash. Right. Because if you bring these amazing, innovative teachers <laughs> into the conversations, yeah, we can probably help you troubleshoot <laughs> exactly a lot of the things yeah. that are making it break down in the first place. Yeah, we just yeah. got to get a seat at that table. Exactly. You know, you need to go to the people working in the classroom and say, well, what's not working and how can we fix it? And we're like, boom, we can just literally give you a mm-hmm. whole bunch of ideas right off, right off the top of our head. And that kind of leads me into the next question. So for my last question, um, and we're kind of alluding to that with especially advocating teachers, but just as an education system as a whole, like what do you think could be some either immediate or long, long range changes to really make it better and kind of maybe move out of this like old school way of doing things for so long? Um, well, I think, honestly, I think there needs to be more transparency mm-hmm. in the education system. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been talking now since I've been a lot more in the public sphere and I've been talking to people um, outside of education about what the inside of education looks like. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't, they just really don't know. There's so much about the different roles that people play within the education system mm-hmm. and the responsibilities within those roles that the general public doesn't know. Yeah. And even for me, you know, having been the, on the inside, um, I don't know how administrators are evaluated. Right. I don't know who determines um, whether or not they're doing a good job. I know that teachers have no voice in that evaluation. Not Mm -hmm. once have I ever been asked to, no, I've had, you know, like as a teacher, we're encouraged to have our students fill out evaluation forms, right. About our teaching and in grad school and in, in, Mm -hmm. you know, undergrad, we evaluate our teachers. So teachers get evaluated. I mean, we get evaluated by everybody. We get evaluated by students. We get evaluated in the court of public opinion. We get evaluated by our, um, um, administrators, like yeah. everybody's got an opinion on, on us. And a lot and of in times, certain schools, they're like really under a microscope, like 
I'm going to need you to turn in every lesson plan. I'm going to be like looking at every little thing that you're doing. And oh my God. Yeah. nobody does that with the other individuals in the school system. No, like, <laughs> yes. I, and I was one of those teachers in my, in the, the second school that I was in, I had to turn in every single lesson plan six days in advance. Wow. Um, even though I explain, I, and I always put a disclaimer, these are, you know, these are what I plan to teach. However, my classes are receptive to the needs. They're interactive right. of the students that are in front of me. And I'm going to take advantage of the teachable moment. And I may not necessarily get to worksheet on page 43, you know, on that day. Again, that's a um, factory model, right? You know, like, so, so, um, but yeah, my grades were looked at my lesson plan. Like, so yeah, that definitely hundred percent under a microscope and in not respected as the educational professional that I am, you know, um, but, go, but going back to like, definitely having that transparency for everybody to see what the mm -hmm. roles are, what the responsibilities are, where the, um, who is making the decisions for mm -hmm. what is taught and how it's taught, because it, I feel like right now, mm -hmm. I'm trying to find a, a nicer word for it, but it's, mm -hmm the muck is rolling mm. downstream, you know, it always flows mm -hmm. downhill or downstream, right. From both sides. And it lands on teachers. Yeah. Nobody really knows that teacher, how little say teachers have. So I would love for that to be, let's get that transparency out there um, mm -hmm. of who's making what decisions and who's responsible for what. So that way everybody knows. I would love for teachers to have a voice in evaluating their administrators mm -hmm. and that the te that the admin don't get to see it. Like mm -hmm. it goes directly to whoever it is that, mm -hmm. that, you know, makes decisions regarding the administrators. Right. Whether that be like a head or a superintendent or even the school board. Right. You know? Yeah. That is going up there. I mean, that would be a, just at least one great place for teachers to have some voice. And yeah, so and many people don't even know that teachers don't get to do that. Not at all. I mean, we don't, we don't evaluate anybody. <laughs> we don't evaluate anything. Um, I mean, obviously we evaluate uh, students, you know, but that's, that's it. And, and I'm, and not, I don't have that necessarily like in my situation, but anyone that I've known that has left schools, there's many, many reasons, but they have often said I wasn't supported by my administration, you know, or I had this conflict with, you know, this person in the administration, or I was at this one school that I was very supported and I stayed, or maybe I couldn't stay because of location and whatnot. And then when I moved, I wasn't supported by this. So that if you have a lot of people leaving and you're not supposed to do these exit interviews when people leave, like, why are you leaving? And if they're like, well, I have these concerns about this administrator. It's like, well, then yeah, they should be evaluated and teachers should have a say because the administrators are evaluating them. And we talked about teacher to student co-creation administrator teacher should be co-creation and with that is both evaluating you know each other because the whole goal is to make it better it's not to it's not to bring anyone down it's not to say like you're like this terrible person or it's constructive criticism on both sides to make it better to make it better for the students right mm -hmm. we are ultimately molding this generation so it should be looked at as like, we need to all be doing as best of a job as we can to mold this generation. Yeah. Yeah. And I can have those conversations with my students. Yeah. We were able to have these, you know, of course we had emotions and we, you know, I would, of course I would bristle or be, 
you know, a little bit hurt or embarrassed or disappointed when a student would point out something that I didn't do well. And mm -hmm. I probably already knew, you know what, my classroom management during that class was not great. Mm -hmm. Or, and then on my evaluation, a student would bring that because I did have my students evaluate me, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. so they would bring up something and of course I had emotions to it, but we could still have a conversation about it. And mm -hmm. we could still walk away from that conversation feeling better and have um, a game plan of how to do it better the next time. Right. So I could have these very uh, adult, open, respectful conversations with my mm -hmm. teenage students mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. I couldn't have with my adult administrators. Yeah. Yeah. And that just was beyond frustrating. Um but not all schools are like that. And I want no, to like absolutely highlight that, you know, yes. there's so many teachers out there. They're like, I'm leaving. This is so hard. I don't yeah. want to do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And I do not want to diminish those voices. Absolutely. And there's some that are leaving purely for financial, right? Because you could be in a school with an amazing administration, yes. amazing students, amazing supportive parent community. And you happen to live in a place that just does not pay a good salary. Mm -hmm. And so you, that's another part of it too. It's like, you could have all the support you want. You could have all the resources you want, but if you are still getting paid a salary that was from like 20 years ago, and now we're in inflation, you have to also just like, I have to survive. I have to take care of my family, you know? And right. there are teachers leaving, especially there's a lot of younger teachers leaving because they only have a couple of years in under their belt and they might not have the master's degree yet. And maybe they're in a state or in a location in a state where it's very low taxes. So that's what pays, you know, everything in education. And they have student loan debt. And they have student loans. And they yep. see that it's enticing to use their skills and their, you know, transferable skills into a lot of other roles in sales, in recruiting, in education, technology startups, you know. And so, I mean, I think they got to, you got to realize like support's good, but, you know, this just the, the funding for salary is still so low. It is. And so that's actually one of the things um, I said about, you know, now that I've been in this more public space and I've been yeah. engaging with people outside of mm -hmm. education, um, I did some research. <laughs> I, I really didn't understand where this disconnect was because as mm -hmm. teachers, we know that we're educated professionals and that we've had ex ex extensive schooling to mm -hmm. and, pro and professional development that a lot of which we pursued on our own to get better and better at our crafts. But we get paid, but we're seen as public servants. We're not yeah. seen as educated professionals. We are seen as public servants. Mm -hmm. And I was really trying to get my head around that disconnect because I felt like I was being treated like a public service and not an educated professional. Right, right. And so I was doing some research and our salary is nationally. I know there's mm -hmm. huge disparities, you know, from state to state and even city to city. But nationally, we get paid on par with um, with other public servants, mm -hmm, but only mm -hmm. need about two years of education, if mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And if that's what it's going to be, then okay. But who's going to help us pay off our, yeah. you know, our four to six extra years of student debt that we've incurred? Yeah. And um, most schools and now expect you to have a master's degree. Like it's, you can't even really compete in this um, world today with uh, in, in education without a master's degree. So yes, that's a whole other degree, 
That's a lot more time. Most people do that while they're working. So like for me, it's, it took me three years because I was working. I was teaching while I was doing it. And then if you have like a family too, um, and most of the time you're paying for that, you might get a little bit of credit from your school, depending on what kind of program they have. Not all schools offer that. And it's a lot more money, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and it's almost like required. Whereas I have a lot of friends in other industries that just have bachelor's degrees. I have friends in other industries with no college education and they get paid so much more money, you know, and they're skilled professionals and they're treated like skilled professionals and they're paid in that way. Right. So even if we could have, you know, I think one of the young ladies that I graduated with, because remember my cohort was 10 years younger than me. (laughs) So when we graduated, Mm -hmm. um, luckily I had a spouse Mm -hmm. who could help with all of the finances but she's not married. And yeah, um, just, I think this will be her first summer, not having to work a summer job. Mm -hmm. Um, But she's still facing, you know, tens of thousands of dollars worth of student debt 10 years later. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, So that's just, that's not okay. Mm -hmm. The other thing I wanted to point out that's been really weird and interesting and frustrating for me um, since I've been in this private teaching privately and in, in my private teaching practice mm-hmm. is the respect I get mm. that is just given to me. When I say that I own my own private teaching business, I automatically, I'm just given a level of authority and respect mm. that I never experienced <clears throat> when I was in the classroom. And it was just given to me before they even ever saw what I could do. Wow. Um, I heard, I said, oh, I, you know, I have my own business where I teach French. And then the person said, oh, you're in private practice. Mm. And there was this, you know, that, oh, like, yeah. yeah. And what I do now is a bazillion times easier than what mm-hmm. I did in the classroom mm-hmm. to, so mm-hmm. I think that's another huge. And you could probably hone your craft more because that's literally what you're doing. And you're not doing like 10 other roles or duties. And I felt like especially during the pandemic, I'm like, I'm just a worker bee. Like I'm just literally here to be a body doing all these different things that need to get covered. And I get it. Like it, it's an emergency situation, but then it just kept dragging on and it felt like nothing was really changing and trying to, you know, be hopeful for next year, but, and teachers have this craft and they need time to hone that craft. They need space in their schedule to really innovate and create you know, appropriate assessments and project-based learning, which is really where it it should be going completely and do away with testing. Um, And you need a lot of time for that. And if you're just doing a bunch of different duties or a bunch of other roles that you don't get paid extra money for, you're just doing that. um, You just feel like you're doing busy work. Exactly. And that was one of the things I did a teacher exit survey. Um, (laughs) I feel like I should publish it yeah. because I found it to be, you know, even for me, I found it to be really enlightening, but mm. the two of the biggest complaints were about the, um, the tasks not directly related to student learning mm-hmm. and the too much to accomplish mm-hmm. in, you know, just the unmanageable workload. Mm-hmm. Like, what if Teachers only got to do the part that directly related to student learning and somebody else did the tasks that are not related to student learning. Yeah. You know, like that would, you know, there's administrative assistance, right. For administrators, Um, you know, definitely could have, and this can create jobs, teacher assistance for every teacher. Right. And it's like, you do, you have teacher aides, but that's usually for like 
the ESL program, special ed program, but not like the regular education program. Um, and that would lighten up the load so that then again, these professionals feel like I can do the actual work I went to school for that I'm trained in and not all of these other duties where sometimes you're spending more time on those other roles and duties than your actual craft. Oh yes, definitely. I found myself in that, like, oh, especially with the pandemic teaching. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Cause it was like double the work and half the fun. Yeah. Yeah. All classroom teaching. Yeah. Awful. Um, but yeah, to be able to do the part that, that makes us come alive. And one of the things that you and I had talked about before was about the, you know, you have these innovative, creative professionals. And that's what we want to do. We want to innovate and we want to be creative and we want to continue to grow in our craft, but there's no, there's, there's no path for professional development for teachers. It's like Mm -hmm. you either go into your classroom and you stay there till you retire, or you go into, um, you know, maybe you become a department chair, but a lot of times that ends up being just a lot more paperwork. Mm -hmm. Um, or you go into administrate or administrative Mm-hmm. administration. That's the word I'm looking for, but there's not a lot to keep us stimulated and engaged. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you can't have these, these brilliant minds and then just keep them in the same paperwork position. and expect right. them to stay. Right, right, right. Exactly. And in most other industries, there's always, um, ability to advance and move up and still stay kind of within what you're doing right? So advancing teachers to leadership roles within the school, that doesn't mean that they become the vice principal or dean, but there's other ways that you can lead, right? You want to lead a new program. Um, you want to be a mentor to teachers and that could be a role and a paid role, mm-hmm. not I'm advancing you to this role. So you can have this title in the school and on your resume, but it, there's, you know, it's just, you're doing it. It's not extra. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Right. Community outreach, I've had parents that were interested in like learning how to, how to help their kids do homework. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Like Mm -hmm. wouldn't teachers who could help parents, um, help their kids do homework Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. without doing it for them or without, you know, arguing with their kids about how to do long division because it's the new math and, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and that goes back to the whole public servant thing. And I think even teachers need to change that in their own mindset. I think the younger ones are, you know, they are, but I think for a long time, it's just been this, you know, system of, well, I'm going into this because I have something to give back to society. So I'm just going to put up with a lot of stuff. And that whole mind, that needs to be a mind shift of like, no, I am a professional and I should get paid like a professional. And for every extra thing that I do, I should get paid for. Mm-hmm. Well, and even if we didn't necessarily have a specific tract, I know a lot mm-hmm. of teachers that have other, you know, we have ideas and projects that we would love to get to do. So even mm-hmm. if we could just like pitch them, right, you right. Know? Mm-hmm. like even if we could just, I mean, um, like the school board of the school that I, of both schools that I've worked in, actually, I didn't have access to them. Mm-hmm. 
occasionally they'd come to the school and they'd come to one of the faculty meetings and they'd tell us what a great job we were doing and how much they appreciated us. Mm -hmm. And, and they would even say, you know, let us know if there's anything we can do for you. Well, when I went and tried to figure out how to let them know, because I had something I wanted them to do for me, I couldn't find any way to get in touch with them. Really? Yeah. So, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and I think giving us an opportunity to just ask. Yeah. I think that's the thing. Just ask teachers because our brains are constantly going and we have mm-hmm. tons of ideas for all sorts of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you really utilize a teacher in all of those ways, it's just going to be even more stimulating for them, which then is more stimulating for their students. It also helps out with their families. <laughs> Because we have all of this energy and we want to use it. And then if we're not, and we're just bringing it home over the frustration of our families, it's very difficult on our family members. Whoever is married to a teacher, it is, it's, it's hard. Oh, yes. Yes. And I definitely think, you know, it should be, maybe that'll be something all right is the, the care and feeding of your teacher or family member. Yeah. Um, like yeah. You have to give us time to geek out with other teachers because nobody know. knows it, right. it will save, it saves our, our partner's ears for sure. If we it does. Do <laughs> yes, it does for sure. But, um, within two weeks of not going back, yeah. um, my whole family thanked me oh, wow. for not going back. Like they knew how hard it was. It was yeah. a lot of tears. Yeah. Um, when I left. <laughs> so they could see it too. Yeah. You know? they could see it, And they don't want to see someone breaking down like that a family that family member that they love. And that's great that you have that support, you know, and um, I feel like there's probably a lot of families that feel that way about their teacher spouses or family members. Um, we're going to finish up here, but before we do, is there anything else you want to share about your business or just um, how maybe teachers can learn more about private practice teaching? Um, hmm. I should have thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll put your information in the show notes. So all of like your contact and like your website and everything. Um, yeah, just, I'm very open to mm-hmm. talk to anybody. And this was not a business that I, that I created um, out of any other desire than to help teachers and seeing it as an opportunity to maybe have an impact on our education system. Mm-hmm. you know, hopefully have an, have an impact on our education system. Um, but I, I do have my own private teaching practice where I teach and I actually do it. So I guess the main thing is I'm open. I'm happy to talk any DMS, or you can even schedule a 30 minute phone conversation. I will happily talk to anybody who has any questions about it. I am not a salesperson. I am a teacher who <laughs> who just cares and they do care. Um, yeah. And yeah. you know, wants wants to help and make this better for all of us. Yeah. And I can vouch for that 100 percent because uh Rachel reached out to me on Facebook. We were in a teacher group on there, and uh, right away I could I could tell like you are a teacher advocate, you really, really care. Um, and you you have this greater purpose. And I think you see that in yourself. And I really want to thank you for the work that you're doing and not only just being able to turn your life around and start a new career and have your own business, but uh, really want to be there for our educators because we need that. We need that too. We need that support and inspiration. So I will definitely share all of your information. 
So thank, thank you, you so much. much. Thank you, Rachel. Yucky. This has been wonderful. Likewise. Um, and I'm excited, hopefully in the near future to meet in person. We're not that far from each other. And uh, this has just been such a joy getting to know you. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye.